A warning, this episode features dramatizations and discussions of disembowelment, sexuality, and violent death. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single myth about unicorns. Today's episode combines elements from German and English folklore, as well as ancient Greek history, to illustrate the complexity of this majestic horned beast. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and this is Mythical Monsters. Every week, we take a look at the stories behind the fantastical creatures that have fascinated humankind for thousands of years. Previous generations created these legends in order to make sense of the world around them. By telling their stories, we hope to expose the powerful emotions that drove them and the hopes and fears that still resonate with us today. This week, we're exploring the unicorn. The first versions of these mythical horned horses were strange beings with bizarre connotations of sexual potency. These legendary creatures have undergone drastic changes since their earliest incarnations, but they've always presented a figure of untouchable purity and tragic sacrifice. You can always find episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll dive into the early history of the unicorn after this. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There may be no other mythical beast that is as universally beloved as the unicorn. Today we know it as a majestic white stallion with a flowing mane and grooved golden horn. The unicorn has been depicted in countless artistic works throughout history. Modern unicorns are seen as the epitome of innocence and goodness, but earlier versions were much more complex and dangerous creatures. 
In a previous episode of Mythical Monsters, we talked about the Chinese Chilin, a colorful equine that uses its mystical powers to protect the innocent. The Chilin is often referred to as the Chinese unicorn, and it bears similarities to the Vietnamese Quali and the Japanese Kirin. All three of these creatures are usually portrayed as horse-like animals with a single horn sprouting from their foreheads. In ancient Persia, the unicorn was a gigantic rhino-like beast called the Karkadan. Unicorns appear in Zoroastrian holy texts and the Hindu Mahabharata. They're even mentioned in the King James Bible. The story of the unicorn is deeply embedded into Western culture, but its influence goes beyond the boundaries of Europe and America. Its story has become a part of all human cultures. It's a story of grand self-sacrifice, of a fierce and unbroken creature that allows itself to fall prey to the one thing it cannot resist. Afra sat by the side of the river, absentmindedly tearing up handfuls of grass. The still water was a muddy brown. Once it had been crystal clear, that was before it was poisoned. Afra had seen it happen. She'd been walking over the old bridge when she saw a serpent come out of the reeds and spray an oily yellow liquid out of its fangs. She'd tried to tell her brother and the other villagers, but they'd only laughed and called her a liar. Even in the weeks that followed, as the bodies of animals piled up beside the riverbank, everyone still refused to believe her story. A few of the villagers even drank the water themselves. Their deaths were gruesome. After that, rumors began to circulate that it had been Afra who'd poisoned the river. People stopped speaking to her, They turned away whenever they saw her in the village. She'd tried to save the people from themselves, and she'd been shunned in return. Afra sighed as she gazed out at the river. It was a windless summer afternoon, and the surface of the water was still as glass. A strange hush had fallen over the entire forest. Even the birds had stopped singing. Suddenly, a ripple moved across the surface of the water. Afra felt the earth tremble beneath her. She heard sounds coming from the woods across the river as another tremor shook the earth. Something was making its way toward her. A figure emerged from the trees. It seemed enormous, taller than the biggest man she'd ever seen. Every footfall sent small waves over the surface of the water, but despite its size, the creature possessed an almost unearthly grace. It was shaped like a doe, or perhaps an ibex. The fur along its spine was a deep, rich brown, but the rest of its coat was so brilliantly white that Afra had to shade her eyes. It had a luminous silver-gray mane, and its eyes were the blue of a summer sky. Most arresting of all, though, was the horn that jutted from the creature's head. It was at least three feet in length and tapered to a sharp point. 
It was made of a pearlescent white material, almost like a seashell. The shallow grooves that spiraled around it caught the sunlight, reflecting it in a thousand shades of pink and gold. Afra had never seen anything so beautiful. She knew what it was, but a part of her was afraid to believe it, as if thinking its name might make it disappear. The unicorn stepped up to the shore and bent its head down to the muddy water. As soon as the tip of its horn touched the river, it began to change color. A crystal clear tide spread out from the place where the unicorn's horn was submerged. As the pristine waves washed down the river, they seemed to rinse away the stench of decay. Suddenly, the air smelled of pine needles and the earth after a rain. The unicorn took a long drink from the river. It made an almost musical whinnying sound, shook its silver mane, and trotted back towards the woods it had come from. As the unicorn retreated, a squirrel ran down to the river to drink from the clear water. It was followed by a sparrow, a rabbit, and a deer. Suddenly, the river was crowded with animals drinking from the purified water. Afra laughed as she ran down to the river's edge. If the villagers hadn't believed her story about how the water was poisoned, just wait until they heard the tale of how it got clean. One of the first widely circulated stories about unicorns comes from a Greek text called the Physiologus. It tells of a small, one-horned beast called the Monoceros, an early version of the unicorn. This creature lived near a mountain lake that was perpetually being poisoned by a serpent. Every day, the animals waited for the Monoceros at the lake. When he arrived, the horse-like creature used his horn to make the sign of the cross over the water purifying it for the animals to drink. Written in the Greek city of Alexandria sometime during the 3rd or 4th century CE, the Physiologus was a precursor to the medieval bestiary. It was an encyclopedia of real and mythical beasts that drew from the works of earlier scholars like Catesius and Pliny the Elder. We talked about Catesius in the Manticore episode of Mythical Monsters. He was a Greek physician who lived in the court of the Persian king in the late 5th and early 4th century BCE. He was the first to describe the legendary Manticore in his book A History of India. This same text contains a description of the unicorn that would eventually be used in the Physiologus. Catesius calls his version of the unicorn a one-horned ass. It has the body of a white horse, but is larger, faster, and far more formidable. Though many scholars of the ancient world were skeptical of Catesius's writing, few questioned the existence of his one-horned ass. As the creature evolved, its existence would come to be regarded as real and definite as that of the elephant or the parrot. Catesius described his unicorn as a ferocious fighter, impossible to catch alive. It had a red head and bright blue eyes, but its most interesting feature was its horn. A foot and a half long, the horn was white at the base, with a crimson tip and a strip of black in the center. 
it had detoxifying powers, and if made into a cup, it could counteract any poison. Later scholars would modify the unicorn's appearance, changing the color of the horn to black, and then gold, and finally white. Though its looks changed, the perception of the unicorn as an agent of purification persisted for thousands of years and across multiple continents. In the mid-12th century CE, a German abbess named Hildegard of Bingen wrote a natural history text where she described the curative properties of numerous unicorn body parts. Hildegard claimed that the unicorn's liver could cure leprosy, its hide could make a girdle that protected against plague, and its hooves could detect poison. Over the course of the next few hundred years, the European elite would become obsessed with owning unicorn body parts. In the backstabbing, cutthroat world of medieval royalty, something that could nullify any poison was the ultimate status symbol. Those who could get their hands on powdered unicorn horn would become immune to the single most popular form of assassination. European noblemen would spend vast sums of money purchasing what they believed to be unicorn horns from northern fishermen. In actuality, they were buying the long protruding tooth of the narwhal. The narwhal's tooth has the same spiraling rivets as the ones usually shown on unicorns. In the Middle Ages, a narwhal's tooth that could be passed off as a unicorn horn was worth 10 times its weight in gold. There were more than a few people who were willing to kill to get a hold of them. Enolf broke away from the other squires as soon as he spotted his sister making her way toward the stables. He mumbled an excuse and flew down the narrow stone passageway and out onto the green hillside below. Enolf loved his sister, but lately she'd been making his life especially difficult. Everyone in town thought she was a witch, thanks to her crazy story about serpents poisoning the Eder River. It had taken every last bit of his charm and influence to keep them from burning her at the stake. As she came toward him with a determined look in her eye, Enoch got the feeling that whatever she had to tell him, it wasn't going to make things any better. "'What's the matter with you?' Enoch demanded, pulling his sister into the shadow of the fortification. "'I told you not to visit me at work. The stablemaster doesn't like seeing you around.' Without delay, Afra launched into one of her tall tales. As usual, it began with a bunch of nonsensical, unrelated details. Enolf sighed as she went on and on about ripples on the river and the earth trembling. His mind was starting to wander when he heard the one word that could immediately get his attention. Unicorn. Enolf stared at his sister. What did you just say? He demanded. Afra looked annoyed. Were you not listening? I saw a unicorn at the bank of the river. Enolf's heart was suddenly racing. His palms were sweating and his chest felt tight. A unicorn! If she was telling the truth, there was a chance that both their lives could change forever. He took his sister's hand, nodded in the direction of the river and said, Show me. Coming up, Offer is asked to do a terrible favor for the king. 
This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. The Lord High Marshal frowned as he listened to the girl's story. She claimed to have seen a unicorn purify the water in the river Eder. Her brother Enof was an obedient child, but he had heard all about Afra. At best, the girl was crazy. At worst, a heretical witch. Either way, her word was worth about as much as her life. Not much. Still, her story intrigued him. As soon as the girl stopped speaking, he sent a servant to fetch a cup of river water. Give it to the girl, the Lord High Marshal commanded when the servant returned. The man gingerly passed the cup to Afra, holding it as far from his body as possible. Not a week earlier, they'd watched two villagers die mere seconds after drinking that very same water. The Lord High Marshal scowled impatiently at Afra. What are you waiting for? He demanded. Afra looked down at the water in the cup. Her brother opened his mouth to protest, but she swallowed the contents before he could get out a word. They all sat there, staring in stunned stupor at the girl. Slowly, a smile spread across the Lord High Marshal's lips. The water had not killed her. A unicorn's horn was the only thing in the world that could work that kind of magic. He was going to be rich. King Lothair had been after a unicorn horn for years. In his old age, he'd grown suspicious and irrational. He didn't trust anyone around him and had become convinced that his own sons wanted to poison him. He had a cupbearer to test his food and drink, but it wasn't enough. They had all heard tales of poisons that took hours or days to take effect. The only way to protect against those was with the horn of a unicorn. The king had nearly emptied the royal coffers, buying horns from foreign merchants. But in the end, they'd all turned out to be fake. More than a few of the king's cupbearers had lost their lives testing them. The Lord High Marshal turned away from the girl and smiled to himself. He'd been on Lothair's bad side ever since he'd burned the village of Heidelberg. The villagers had been refusing to pay their taxes, so the act was justified. But the fire had spread to the fields and destroyed valuable crops. The king had nearly had the Lord High Marshal beheaded. But he was sure that finding a unicorn horn would more than make up for the incident. He stroked his beard thoughtfully. In the past three years, King Lothair had sent hundreds of men into the forest to hunt for the horned beasts. They always returned empty-handed. Royal scribes had pored over every text they could get their hands on, searching for a method that would help them capture the unicorn. 
Based on their studies, they had determined that a unicorn could only be caught if it surrendered itself to a virgin who was pure of heart. The king had sent scores of young maidens into the woods, but none of them had seen a unicorn. The Lord High Marshal glanced back to the shabby little girl in the corner of the room. She was a skinny thing, with limp brown hair that fell in front of her pockmarked face. But the royal scribes never said the maiden had to be beautiful, and if the unicorn had shown itself to her, it just might do so again. Lord High Marshal approached the girl and gave her an oily smile. Afra, he said, how would you like to do a great service for the king? Various versions of the Physiologus tell two stories about types of unicorns. The first one is the one we heard earlier, about the monoceros who uses his horn to purify the mountain lake. The second story tells of a creature called the Daja, another early version of the unicorn. This story has a much more convoluted moral than the straightforward religious lesson behind the monoceros. The Daja is a gentle, gazelle-like creature, with one horn in the middle of its head. Due to its incredible speed and strength, there's only one way to capture it. The hunters send a pure virgin into the woods to bear her breasts and wait for it. Once the animal sees her, it won't be able to stop itself from lying in her lap and suckling at her breast. The virgin takes hold of the Daja's horn, and it is trapped. In the Physiologus, the Dodge's story is framed as an allegory for Christ, but it's hard to ignore the strange sexual undertones of the tale. The virgin maiden who bears her breast to the male Dodja is an overtly sexual figure, and it's easy to see how the Dodja's horn could be interpreted as a phallic symbol. Perhaps this is because the story of the Dodja is rooted in a much older story, a fertility myth from an ancient Hindu religious text. Dr. Chris Lavers, author of The Natural History of Unicorns, suggests that the inspiration for the Daja comes from an episode in the Mahabharata. It tells of a gentle forest-dwelling man with a horn growing out of his forehead. His name is Gazelle Horn, and he possesses the unique ability to bring rain. After the kingdom is thrown into a drought, the king's daughter Nalini uses her feminine wiles to capture Gazelle Horn. She plies him with wine and kidnaps him from the forest. Nalini then brings Gazellhorn to the civilized world, where he marries her and provides rain to the land. The romantic relationship in the story of Gazellhorn is explicit. In the tale of the Daja, it's more understated, but it's still there. There's the specification of the maiden's virginity, along with her role as the seductress, and the phallic symbol of the unicorn's horn. We may not think of the unicorn as an erotic figure, but when we consider the deeper meaning behind the way it's represented, the strange sexual implications are hard to ignore. Afra kicked her feet against the tree stump as she waited in the woodland clearing. 
Her brother had told her not to move around too much, but she'd been sitting here for hours, and she couldn't help feeling a little bored and restless. She'd been surprised when her brother showed an interest in her story, but you could have knocked her over with a feather when the Lord High Marshal did too. He'd explained that the king needed to catch a unicorn, and she might be the only one who could help them do it. Afra had tried to ask what they would do to the unicorn once they caught it, but the Lord High Marshal had ignored her question entirely. All anyone would say was that she must do her duty for king and country. Once the Lord High Marshal had gone, her brother had pulled her aside and pleaded, Afra, this is the chance you've been waiting for. If you help them find the unicorn, maybe people will stop calling you a witch. You'll finally be forgiven for poisoning the river. Afra protested that she hadn't poisoned the river. That had been a giant serpent. Her brother just gave her an exhausted look and said, You know what I mean. All that night she tossed and turned. Afra didn't want to help the king's hunters catch the unicorn. But what if her brother was right? Suppose this really was her one chance to prove she wasn't a witch. How could she say no when her brother was relying on her? The next morning, Afra and her brother met the king's hunting party at the place where she'd spotted the unicorn. When Afra saw their sharp spears and lances, she almost called it off. Then she caught sight of the look on her brother's face. He was so hopeful and excited. If she refused to help, it would hurt him more than anyone else. The men sounded their bugles and released the dogs. The hounds led them deeper and deeper into the woods until they arrived at the little forest glen. Afra spent the next few hours waiting in silence, keenly aware of the hunters who sat beyond the trees, poised and ready to strike. As time passed, Afra began to hope the unicorn might not come. Then she saw movement at the edge of the trees, and her heart sank. The woods fell silent. An animal emerged from the eastern edge of the clearing. It was the unicorn. The scent of fresh pine filled the glade as the unicorn emerged from behind a large oak tree. He was every bit as magnificent as she remembered. The creature was enormous, yet possessed a grace like no other animal on earth. As he came toward her, his horn glinted in the late summer sunlight. His steps were measured and light, but each footfall sent tremors through the earth. Afra's heart beat faster. The unicorn stepped in front of her, and then, almost as if he was bowing to her, he knelt down. The great beast settled onto his snow-white haunches and then lowered himself gracefully onto his side. He let out a gentle snort, as if inviting her to come sit with him. Afra was so entranced by the creature that for a moment she forgot about the hunters who were waiting on the other side of the glen. She lowered herself off the stump and sat cross-legged next to the unicorn. He promptly rested his massive head in her lap. 
His wide blue eyes looked up at her beseechingly as Afra combed her fingers through his mane of silver hair. She ran her hands over the smooth grooves of his shimmering horn. She'd never seen anything so beautiful. The unicorn opened his lips and whinnied. As she grasped hold of its horn, Afra noted sadly that the expression on its face was something close to a smile. A trumpet sounded from the woods behind her as the king's soldiers emerged from the trees. Coming up, Afra must face the consequences of her actions. Now, back to the story. Afra looked into the unicorn's eyes as the king's huntsmen surrounded them. He remained perfectly still, but the expression on his face changed from placid calm to deep sadness. Afra felt her chest tighten. She never should have agreed to help the king capture the unicorn. She'd only done it because she'd wanted to make her brother happy and keep people from thinking she was a witch. As she looked into the unicorn's kind blue eyes, Afra felt like she was seeing into the unicorn's soul. Suddenly, she knew that this beast was wiser and more virtuous than any human could ever be. It was a being of pure light and goodness. There was nothing in the world that could justify betraying it. Afra heard the sound of arrows whizzing through the air. A few pierced the unicorn's flank, and one struck him in the neck. Hot blood pooled out over Afra's lap as the unicorn let out a strangled cry. Afra screamed. In a moment, she forgot all about her brother and the king and the villagers who thought she had poisoned the river. All she knew was that she couldn't let this creature die. She let go of the unicorn's horn and pulled the arrow out of his neck. The animal gave a whinny and picked himself up off the ground. For a moment, he staggered, but then he seemed to gain his footing again. The unicorn pawed at the ground and turned to face his attackers. At the front of the group, the Lord High Marshal was wearing a look of pure fury. The unicorn lowered his head and charged. As its horn plunged into his gut, the Lord High Marshal gave an agonized groan. The great beast gave a tremendous jerk of his head, and the man's body flew across the clearing in a flood of blood and viscera. The unicorn turned to face the next hunter, but he was already fleeing the clearing. The rest of the men followed suit. Only one stood his ground. Enolf stood at the edge of the trees, his eyes burning with rage and hurt. The unicorn turned toward him. He struck the ground with his hoof as though issuing a challenge. Afra screamed out for her brother to run, Enolf shook his head and said, How could you? Then he turned and disappeared into the trees along with the rest of the hunters. 
For the artists of the Middle Ages, the unicorn was a useful metaphor. It could serve the dual purpose of representing Christ and the literary trends of the time. Literature from the period between 1000 and 1300 CE was known for its use of a convention called courtly love. It usually centered around a noble knight who falls in love with an inaccessible woman. Because he cannot physically consummate his love, he must express his devotion through selfless acts of bravery. For medieval painters and poets, it was easy to insert the unicorn into this narrative, while still maintaining the animal's allegorical associations with Christ. Tapestries and paintings from the Middle Ages show a noble creature who falls for a beautiful woman. He sacrifices himself in order to serve her. Whether it's Christ sacrificing himself on the cross, a noble knight, or a unicorn, the story is the same. Innocence is sacrificed so that life can continue and sin can be forgiven. Enolf trailed behind the other soldiers as he made his way up the gravelly slope. He felt a strange sense of foreboding. A few days ago, one of his squires had brought him a wild story. The lad said he had fallen off a bridge and nearly drowned, but a witch had fished him out of the river and brought him back to life. Enolf had thanked the boy for warning him about the witch's devilry. Then he had summoned four knights and a monk. Together, they had begun the long trek up into the mountains. Enolf didn't know why he felt so nervous. He'd arrested dozens of witches since being appointed Lord High Marshal. Something else was causing him trepidation. He couldn't quite put his finger on it. He watched as the others reached the mouth of the cavern. To his surprise, the witch didn't try to run. She just stood there, hidden by the shadows of the rock, almost as if she'd been waiting for him. As Enolf jumped down off the horse, the woman emerged from the cave and spoke. Hello, Enolf. It's been a long time. Enolf felt as if his heart had stopped. It had been nearly 20 years since he had seen his sister. She had disappeared after that day in the woods, and no one had heard from her since. He narrowed his eyes. It was Ofra's fault that Enolf's predecessor had died that day. She would get no clemency on his account. He gritted his teeth and spoke in a voice that was trembling with rage. Ofra of the Eater, you are hereby under arrest for the practice of witchcraft and for consorting with the devil. Ofra smiled sadly and interrupted him. Oh, Enolf... I'd hoped you'd changed, but such is life. We cannot choose our family any more than we can choose our fate. Enolf was about to order his knights to seize her when he heard a sound like the whinny of a horse. He hadn't heard it for 20 years, but it still made his blood run cold. As the Renaissance drew to a close and was replaced by the Age of Reason, belief in the unicorn dwindled. 
The church, which had once embraced parallels between unicorns and Christ, began to distance itself from the fantastical creature. What had once been a flesh-and-blood animal was relegated to the realm of fantasy and romance. Bibles began replacing the word unicorn with oxen, and the allegorical moralizing of the bestiary was all but forgotten. Though the unicorn's religious associations may have disappeared, the creature itself lived on. In the era of Romanticism, the unicorn's tragic tale of love and betrayal became more popular than ever. The story shed its cloak of religious allegory to reveal the romance that was always underneath. The unicorn's sad story was perfect fodder for the Gothic sensibilities of the early 1800s. The innocent virgins of the 14th century became tragic femme fatales, ensnaring unicorns with their oozing sensuality. The 19th century unicorn became a symbol for marriage and domesticity. The male unicorn leaves his wild roots and settles down. What once was a wild and majestic beast is wed to a mortal human woman and brought down to a state of ordinariness. It's ironic that the trajectory of the unicorn's role in modern life should mirror the narrative of the ancient stories. In those tales, the virgin maid turned the wild, masculine unicorn into a symbol of beauty and femininity. In the modern era, unicorns have become neutered and sanitized by their status as an icon of girlhood. The love of little girls has reduced the unicorn to a plastic toy. The older version of the unicorn, that wild and fecund beast that once roamed the hills of ancient Greece and Persia, is all but forgotten. Enolf stared as the creature emerged from fir trees behind the cave. It was taller than he was, and its fur was the brightest white he'd ever seen. It almost seemed to glow in the sunlight. The unicorn arrived at Afra's side in a matter of moments and knelt down beside her. She climbed onto the unicorn's back and gave Enolf a pitying smile. Goodbye, brother. I hope you find peace. Afra stroked the unicorn's silver mane. In a single bound, the creature leaped over the brambles around the cave and bounded off down the mountain. Enolf looked around at the flabbergasted knights. What are you waiting for? He shouted. Go after them. The knights scrambled to their horses. Only the monk was still mounted on his. He had been waiting some distance away from the cave, and as the unicorn passed, he fell in line behind it. The monk's dappled mare was running at a full gallop, while the unicorn looked as though it had barely broken a sweat. For a moment, it seemed like the monk might catch up to the unicorn. The mare came up on its heels, and the monk reached out toward its gleaming silver tail. Then all of a sudden, they both seemed to disappear. It was almost as if the earth had swallowed them up. The knights hurried down to the spot where the monk had been. As they approached the spot, Enolf saw that a deep crevice had formed in the earth. Enolf ignored the lump that was forming in his stomach and peered into the pit. 
The monk lay at the bottom, his body broken. Enolf stared down at the awkward angles of the monk's broken arms and legs. When he looked up, he saw a glint of white somewhere off in the distance. It was Afra and the unicorn, disappearing beyond the horizon. The Einhorn Hola is the largest cave in Germany's Harz Mountains. When it was discovered in 1541, it was recorded as a plentiful source of unicorn bones and artifacts. Scientists later determined that what had actually been found was a cache of Ice Age fossils, but the cave's association with unicorns stuck. Over the years, a number of legends sprung up about the cave's mythological inhabitants. One of these was the legend of a famous healer who escaped persecution on the back of a unicorn. Unicorns have also been sighted on the walls of the Lascaux Cavern in the south of France. This Paleolithic cave contains pictographs that are over 15,000 years old, and among them are representations of a svelte, horse-like animal with a single horn jutting out of its forehead. It's possible that the image represents an antelope viewed in profile, or the extinct Ice Age rhinoceros known as the Elasmotherium. However, it seems equally likely that the painted figure shows a mythical creature. Perhaps these distant ancestors were the first ones to imagine a magnificent, one-horned horse. After all, our need to create imaginary protectors has proven an innate part of the human experience. The unicorn is a uniquely universal aspect of our shared cultural heritage. It's an enigma of innocence and wildness. It's a mystical force for justice with the power to wash away corruption. The unicorn is the ultimate representation of self-sacrifice and an almost terrifying figure of untamable nobility. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more information on unicorns, amongst the many sources we used, we found The Natural History of Unicorns by Dr. Chris Lavers and Unicorn, The Myths, Legends, and Lore by Sky Alexander, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythical Monsters, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythical Monsters on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Zoe Luisa Lewis, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Vanessa Richardson.